Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Welcome back to the Game Plan Podcast. We're going to be full of jokes today, as I was just mentioning to Brian Perkins. I medicate pain through humor, and so... uh, the amount of pain I'm currently feeling. I'm going to be on fire with the comedy routine today in the wake of Michael Bennett and likely Richard Sherman departing from the Seahawks. Plenty to get to on this game plan podcast. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Chuda Newby, and this is a Thursday morning, the 8th of March, with the new league year beginning in less than a week's time. Seattle is going to look a lot different in the next season than they have in the uh, in the recent past, Perkins both with Bennett and Richard Sherman leaving, we were discussing off the air, is this the end of an era or did the era already end without us knowing or what kind of era is ending with these players gone? But first we saw Michael Bennett news and then we saw the Richard Sherman news um, kind of simultaneous. Michael Bennett's was official before Sherman, obviously, because there's nothing official yet with Sherman. But your initial reactions to seeing all that break on social media on Wednesday. Initial reaction was not overly surprised about the Michael Bennett move. Um, you know, it, you just look at the cap hit. You look at where Seattle is going nine and seven last season and how many holes they have. You know, Michael Bennett's turning 33 years old this year, three years left on his contract. You know, this is probably when you're going to get the most value for him, right? Uh, if you if you feel like he maybe not is going to be able to have the impact that you want, um, that being said, I mean, Michael Bennett has, has meant a lot to the Seahawks, not only on the field, but, you know, off the field as well. So I do think that, I mean, there's definitely an ele- element as a fan of, of, you know, sadness for sure. Now, it's funny because I, I was thinking, man, this is the end of an era. But I thought that when they didn't make the playoffs this year, to be honest with you. Right. I mean, it's they- just now it's happening. The players are, are leaving. The players are leaving. It's one thing for coaches to, you know, be fired and bring new faces in on the coaching staff. But iconic, the most iconic players, you could argue, even Russell Wilson included, are going to be gone from this team. And that's a bitter pill to swallow. Maybe a necessary one, but still a bitter pill. Richard Sherman has the most iconic play in franchise history. Unforgettable. The tip in the NFC title game 2013 is the most iconic play. Well, the most positive, iconic play in Seahawks history. <laughs> Perhaps we should requalify. No. Yeah, but e- either way, I mean, like it, <laughs> when you look back on the Seahawks franchise, there, there's no play that comes to mind to me that is at all similar to that. Um, so I mean, from that standpoint alone, I mean, there's always that hope, right? When you bring in, when when you go, oh man, they're getting the band back together one more time. One more tour, baby. They're going to try this again. You know, that's kind of how it felt last year a little bit. Some of these guys were getting older maybe, but they were still effective. And you're like, okay, one last run, you know, try to try to get there. Then they they kind of go all in and put all their chips on the table with Sheldon Richardson to get rid of draft picks to win now. And it didn't work. No. So clearly changes were going to be made. But it it is it is kind of sad because even though you knew the end was coming, like even if they would have made the playoffs this year, even if they would have – maybe even won the Super Bowl this year, you probably would have seen changes in some way, shape, or form because these guys are getting older. We're talking about guys that are coming off of major injuries, guys that are in, you know, entering their 30s. 
in positions where that is typically when you fall off a cliff. I mean, that is, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of as a team, they're entering that zone, right? That zone where you kind of expect guys to start falling off and, and moves to be made by the franchise. Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune joined the Dan Patrick show earlier this morning on 102.9-750 The Game, and he was asked if Seattle's escalator, the uh, metaphorical escalator, is it moving up or is it moving down? And it was pretty interesting to hear what he have to say. I want to reset that. It's going down, no doubt. I mean, it was up for a long time, though. It was a pretty high level for a while, two Super Bowls, the the franchise's first title, five consecutive playoffs, this past season being the first time missing the playoffs in six years. So no doubt it's going down. The Legion of Boom's not 25 anymore. They're not 30. They're expensive. They're injured. And that makes them expendable. They don't know if Cam Chancellor is coming back to play because of neck injury. Cliff Averill is probably going to retire because of neck surgery. Wow. Earl Thomas is entering the final year of his contract. Really now, Dan, this team is Bobby Wagner on defense and Russell Wilson on offense. And, oh, by the way, Russell Wilson's contract comes due next year. So they have a $30-plus-million-a-year decision to make on him. And there's no doubt this team's in transition, Dan, and they're looking up at the Los Angeles Rams now instead of the rest of the NFC West looking up at them. So that's interesting stuff from Greg Bell. The fact that the team is in transition, and we knew that, but now we're seeing it. You know, it's hard to rush to judgment on what this what it means for the 2018 season, though, because there's we haven't even started free agency or the new league year yet. You can't write off Seattle being competitive next season just because two iconic players left. You know, it's still such a fluid landscape in the NFL. True. But I get where he's coming from because this is also not only are the Seahawks um, at the very least going to retool and have a new look, but then you look at what the rest of the, the even the let's just talk about the division is looking like right now. You have the Rams. Now, will they be able to repeat the success that they had last year? Who knows? I don't think it's a flash in the pan, though, right? I mean, with the, with the way that that team is designed mm-hmm. and the coaching staff that you have on hand. But then you look at the 49ers. Do I think Jimmy Garoppolo is the second coming like everyone else seems to? Not necessarily, but at the same time, that is another team, by the way, with a lot of cap space this year, at least, you know, with the contract they gave Jimmy G, they won't have much cap space in the next few years, but they have a lot of, a lot of opportunity to bring in guys down to a a franchise that is one of the most successful in history. So Seattle's probably looking up at the Rams and probably looking to their side and seeing the San Francisco 49ers, right, at the very least, with the way that this team is. Yeah. I mean, with the way these teams are constructed right now. And then the Cardinals, who you would expect to be bottom feeders, what if they somehow land Kirk Cousins? How does that change the dynamic of the division? So I do think that Seattle, I don't think that they're completely falling off a cliff necessarily, but when you look at the teams that they're going to have to play six games against this upcoming season, all of a sudden those don't look like just mark it as a W like maybe it used to in years past. If Seattle's escalator is going down, I think both the Rams and 49ers escalators are moving up. Arizona is an interesting case given their QB situation. Fitzgerald's probably in his last year, but we've said that for They're three years They're on an airport escalator. That, uh, you know, you just, the, the walking. The moving escal- sidewalk. Yeah, yeah, the moving sidewalk. They've got David Johnson probably returning healthy this year, and they've got really good players on the defensive side of the ball. So, but they also have coaching transition. So, and no quarterback. Right. But, you know, there's a lot to choose from in this draft class, potentially. And maybe they do get Kirk Cousins. I think they're maybe second in the running for him right now, depending on where you like to rank the New York Jets, Vikings, and Broncos, and Cardinals, and Cleveland Browns. 
in that mix as well. But that being said, yeah, Seattle, in terms of, they used to own the division, and, you know, the the Cardinals were competitive there for a while. Obviously, early with Wilson, it was the Niners rivalry that was a thorn in Seattle's side for a while before they could get over the hump. But, you know, you look comparatively at a team like the Patriots that ruled their division for 15 years, the NFC West was never going to be like that because the other teams were just too competitive and they were going to get better faster than anybody in the AFC East did in the 2000 era. So it was, you couldn't expect NFC West dominance for a decade, but it is interesting. I don't think they're going to be favorites to win the division, not next year, that's for sure. No, without a doubt. And their escalator is going down, even though I don't think they're necessarily going to be a a complete dumpster fire next year. The problem is they have so many holes to fill. So yes, in free agency, hopefully they can get some guys, you know, maybe they'll hit again in the draft like they have, you know, in years past, but look at all the guys they're going to have to replace because you mentioned they lose two. Well, we're not really, they they're losing four guys defensively, assuming that Averill and Cam Chancellor retire, which I think is at this point safe to assume. So we're talking about filling a safety position, st- number one corner position. It will probably be number two because Shaq Griffin will probably move to that side or become the number one guy, two defensive ends, defensive tackle as well, by the way, unless you bring Sheldon Richardson back and then what do you even, I mean, that we're just talking defense at that mm-hmm. point. Also, by the way, their linebacker position isn't exactly shored up outside of the two that they have right now that are, are obviously very good in KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner. Then offensively, there's a lot of question marks there too, starting with the offensive line. I mean, this was a group that started to look a little bit better last year. You're bringing in a new guy, a new look. Hopefully he can get the most out of some of these younger guys that haven't really um, panned out, at least thus far in their very young careers. But there's a lot of holes there to fill. So this is a team that has, I feel like, more holes to fill than they can than they can um, bring in guys to to adequately fill those roles to to bring this team back to a level where they were even two years ago. Yeah, and then you throw in the dynamic of new coaching staff, new yeah. offensive line coach, kind of not an opposite philosophy from what they had offensively, but it's a new philosophy. It's a refreshing philosophy in terms of rededicating yourself to the run and playing off with a dynamic quarterback off of that. And that all kind of makes this a very unpredictable offseason that Seattle has coming up. Now, in terms of those holes, you know, what's a bigger hole to fill, do you think? Is it, it as you look at the Sherman and Bennett moves? Um, and ultimately, we should clarify with Sherman as of right now, Thursday morning, he's still a Seahawk. But reports Mike Silver of NFL Network said that in the next two days, his release is is going to happen. He's imminent, yeah. You know, and if they do release him, they save eleven million off of the salary cap. Right now, they are fourteen million below the cap. So another eleven million off of that would put them twenty five million under, and have an opportunity to make some pretty significant moves. Twenty five million dollars of cap flexibility. John Schneider, Pete Carroll. We talk about who do we put our trust in as Seahawk fans. Trust those guys with 25 mil to be able to fill those holes in ways that we can't really predict right now? Let's assume they bring back Richardson, Sheldon Richardson, okay? Let's okay. just for the sake of argument assume that, okay? So you have, so your defensive core right now in that scenario would be Richardson on the front line. You have no ends, but let's just say Richardson, you have Frank Clark as well. So Richardson, Frank Clark, Wagner, Wright, Earl Thomas. We'll throw Shaq Griffin in there too. Why not? So that's good so, personnel. So that's that's six guys yeah. of your eleven on defense that 
feel like they're solid starters, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're like they're either really really good at their position, elite level, like Earl Thomas, or at the very least, they can play at a high level where they're at. So with those other five positions that they have to fill in, how important? How much money do you dedicate to that? How important is it to bring in a big name at defensive end? Pretty big deal, right? How important is it? How do you allocate those remaining dollars? Not only to actually let's talk about the, I mean, the offense, but to fill those spots, is there enough money to go around? Well, yeah, I mean, and and do you do that with cheap options like your fifth round draft picks that you got in the coming draft, or do you do that in free agency? Do you do that by working out a couple of trades along the way? Um, there's more than one way to to skin the cat in terms of filling these these holes. Don't come after me, Peta. Um, you understand what I'm trying to say? Definitely. That being said, yeah, it's I mean it, it's worth asking and. You know, I keep going back to just the history of, of Schneider and Carroll and the big profile trades, which we could do an entire three podcasts worth on understanding the legacy of the high profile trades that Seattle made, the Harvin trade, the Graham trade, the Richardson trade, and how they negatively affected the team long term. But I, I look particularly at the Graham trade, even though he obviously came on, played his best ball in the last half of his last year in Seattle. What that meant philosophically for the team has kind of started the domino effect of their struggles because it meant sacrificing great O-line play for a pass catcher, for an elite pass catcher. And it seemed to reveal that elite O-line play is just more important. It is for this team than having an elite pass catcher. Not that you really knew that beforehand, and I think everybody got excited about the Graham trade, but that in particular, that move crystallized a change in philosophy of valuing dynamic pass-catching athletes instead of dynamic offensive linemen. And I think unsurprisingly, hindsight 2020, it corresponded with a qualitative shift negatively of the offensive line since then. And that kind of was the first domino to fall in this in this process. I know I went wide in scope there, but... When you talk about holes to fill, I know there's a bunch of other holes to fill, particularly on defense, but I look at the offensive line and I'm like, well, it didn't have to always be this way if they would have kept Max Unger. <laughs> it's true because, you know, and I, I had always said, well, yeah, Max Unger's gone, but look how Justin Britt played. He wasn't that good last year, like if we're being honest. So I, and I'm I, not sure if we should be surprised by that. I mean, and not only that, but if Max Unger's there, then at least you have Justin Britt at another position where hopefully he's serviceable. So it, it really was a domino effect. And then you look at the Richardson trade when maybe they needed more pieces on that O-line, but they go and get a defensive lineman um, at a place where it was assumed before the year that that they were pretty rich in that area. I mean, maybe not necessarily tackle, but you know what I mean. Like on the D-line as a whole, I felt like, man, they're going to be so good defensively but that is a lot of money that you're putting into into that defensive the line. The Malik McDowell situation has really actually took a toll on this team right now because of that Richardson deal. Yeah. It, it affects how you deal with the future of Sherman. It affects your contract negotiations with Earl. It affects everything. Like you, And it's hard to see that the day after he crashes his ATV. But everything is married in this, in this sport. And is he coming back? I mean... There are so many questions yeah, right now. Playing. So so these are, I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of questions right now. And then when you get rid of Michael Bennett, you know, initially 
I went, okay, yeah, you know, he's getting older. He wasn't very good last year. But I think that I'm being a little biased with with the way that I'm speaking about Michael Bennett, and I'm basing that all off of one game. And that is the game that he could not tackle multiple times and injured Drew Stanton <laughs> limping his way across the field. Didn't he have what, what did Stanton have? A torn uh, ACL? Torn ACL for Stanton. And Michael Bennett couldn't catch him twice in that game, and that is burned into my brain. But that's unfair. You know, you look at NFL next gen stats. Michael Bennett was the seventh most disruptive player defensively in the NFL last year. And by disruptive player, they're qualifying that with either a run stuff or a pressure on quarterback. So he had 80 of those throughout the season. You want to talk about the two guys that are above, right above and below him. Aaron Donald was right above him had 84. Cam Jordan had 76. You know, those are guys that, I mean, that's, that's company that we look at very highly, correct? Oh, absolutely. Both so those guys. I don't know if, if I'm, and maybe I'm the only one that felt this way, but I don't know if I was being as fair to Michael Bennett as I should have been. And you have to wonder what their game plan is. I'm assuming they have one when you trade away, when, when one of your ends is leaving most likely with retirement and now you're trading away the guy who had arguably the best season for you right on that defensive line last season. And eight and a half sacks, second your, on the team. Yeah. What's your contingency plan? Yeah. Frank Clark? Well, I think he's going to play a major role. But again, I just think it's so early right now at March 8th. I think they're going to make a bunch of peripheral signings or weird trades here and there or maybe trade up into the second round and make something happen that we just can't forecast right now. But I guess hypothetically we're arguing if they do nothing, you know, what is the personnel look like on that defensive line? And you're right, for the first time in a long time, it's sparse. Yeah, it's really sparse. And they're not going to do nothing. You're right. They're going to bring someone in. Yeah. The, the question is, and I guess this is what I was getting at when we're looking at the defensive side of the football, is right now you have six guys that you feel, if you assuming they bring back Sheldon Richardson. And I'm kind of assuming that because I feel like that's what this move um, was for. Really? That, that's how I feel. Okay. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I do feel like that, that they're going to try to make a, a pretty strong play for him. So assuming he's back, can you still be a top, let's just say top 10 defense with those six guys and five average to below average players at the other positions? Can you still be a, you know, a top 10 defense? Because that's what they're going to have to be, you know, in order for this team to have success. I look at, you know, six divisional games and two of those teams have really good pass attacks with the Niners and Rams. So how are you going to be able to stop pass attacks with those current six good players on defense? You know, you got to have pass rush, pass rush helps coverage and, and all that good stuff. And I don't really, you know, everything's so different. Ken Norton, is he going to be better than Chris Richard in terms of executing the Pete Carroll defense, the cover three is Earl Thomas still going to be a Seahawk. You know, it, these are impossible questions to answer right now. In, in one sense, if Earl, or if Earl is back and those six guys you mentioned are back, I think it's possible to still be a, a top 10 defense because you have an elite player at each level, D-line, linebacker, safety. And to me, that's what you would want, ideally. I think having an elite player at those three positions is more important than having an elite player at corner. Yeah, I agree. I think it's I think it's a discussion, but I'd rather have an elite safety than an elite corner. I know Earl Thomas, you know, the big talk is he's he's – you know, nearing 30, he's turning 29, but he's coming off an incredible season. 
Like he played mm-hmm. very, very well. And there were a lot of remember, there were a lot of question marks with him coming into last season with coming off the broken leg. There were a lot of questions about him, and he came back and was just tenacious and and very, very good the entire season. One of the best safeties in the NFL. If you lose Earl Thomas, I don't I don't think this team recovers from that. They're not a playoff team without Earl Thomas. I mean, I, I truly believe that to yeah. my core, hundred percent. So I think that Seattle needs to make it a priority to extend him for three years and give him, you know, some some bigger money up front, guaranteed dollars. How motivated will he be to play on a team that no longer has Sherman or Chancellor? Earl Thomas has always played angry, though, and motivated, hasn't he? I mean, he was on well, some no, bad Seahawks I'm, teams early. Yeah, I'm not talking about how motivated will he be to, to play when he's on the field. I don't worry about him when he's on the field. Will he be motivated to to stay take, in Seattle to take that offer if he knows that his two guys are gone? I know there's all the scuttlebutt about Dallas, but I, you know, you you listen to what he said after you know after those comments, he was essentially like, "Give me a contract extension," you know. I mean, that was he wants more money, more guaranteed money, and I get it. I think he wants to be in Seattle. I do. Okay, personally, I do. I mean, I know that you're changing defensive coordinator, but you're bringing back a familiar face, and you still have Pete Carroll, who obviously has a you know has a stranglehold on that defense. And if Earl Thomas has enjoyed playing under him so far in his career, I don't anticipate that changing. The Michael Bennett to Philly, you know, do we agree with the move? Apparently, the Patriots, Browns, Falcons, and Buccaneers were all in on the mix for Michael Bennett, but Philly is the team that gets him. Philly trades Seattle a fifth-round pick and Marcus Johnson, a wide receiver who played in uh, three games in the regular season. He had three catches, um, and he had a fumble that he lost against Dallas. But he also runs a 4.38 40-yard dash, and some scuttlebutt is out there suggesting that bringing in a guy like Marcus Johnson, even though he's a no-namer, but he's a short speed threat, actually has an effect on how Seattle's going to approach Paul Richardson's free agency. Yeah. I mean, it's really unusual for Seattle to bring in a small, speedy receiver. So that's... Zing, I mean, zing. I really appreciate them thinking out of the box. Here. We're here all night. <laughs> Back to the checks mix. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if... if I mean, Paul Richardson had a pretty damn good season last year, right? His first fully healthy you know, football season with the Seahawks. He was an actual threat yeah. for the first time in his career. Like, for an entire season, he was a threat that teams had a game plan for. I'm not sure if Tyler Lockett is ever going to get back to where he was before the knee injury. I mean, he just he looks like he's lost a step. Boy, I hope he does. I hope he does, he's too. He's still so young. I know. We didn't really see it out of him last year, though. No. Felt like. um, but so, he wasn't fully healthy. No. So we'll have to see. I mean, he, he didn't look recovered from the injury last year. We'll have to see what he looks like this next season. But, you know, I think that... You look at the receiving core, and there's a lot of question marks there, too, outside of, obviously, Doug Baldwin. And tight end. I mean, we haven't even brought up that position. You're losing your two, your first, your one and two tight ends to free agency. Not that I'm against them not pursuing Jimmy Graham. Trust me. He right. has not been worth the money. Right. And that trade was, I don't want to say a bust, because it's not like he didn't do anything in Seattle, but mm-hmm. it was certainly did not live up to expectations. No, and but you also have to acknowledge the production you lose in the pass-catching game with his with his absence. With, at the very least, a threat. Mm-hmm. You know, something else the defense has to respect. A lot of touchdowns. You know, and, and Luke Wilson, does he come back to Seattle? I mean, right now, who's their, is Vanette their only tight end? 
Yeah, unless they still have Brandon Williams. I don't Can they know. bring back Moyaki? I mean, is that uh <laughs> I loved Moyaki. Yeah. <laughs> Can they bring him back from when was that three seasons ago? <laughs> I'd rather have Zach Miller myself, but yeah. Yeah, touche. Touche. Um, you know, and that kind of goes hand in hand with how Mike Solari views the tight end position in terms of blocking. Because if they want to be a running team, they gotta get better blocking tight ends than they had in Graham and Wilson, that's for sure. Sure, but you also have to replace that passing production. Right. So that's, and and right now... Not necessarily at tight end, but in the pass catcher group yeah, as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, right now you have, you know, Doug Baldwin, who's you know obviously going to be their number one guy, and that's great. Mm-hmm. He's a really good receiver. But outside of that right now, I think there's, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of question marks around that core. Graham I mean, this gone, team, P. Rich probably gone. Here's the thing. Assuming you keep Earl Thomas, right now you have three really important positions short up quarterback middle linebacker safety that's where we are now with this team but i mean that that's why I it's think hard you for gotta me to... give doug a nod he's an elite player now sure okay but i i also think in seattle system like you need like a plethora of of solid receivers you know they don't have to be elite necessarily like baldwin but like they have to be solid yeah so i and i just don't know if they have that right now but what I was getting at is this is not a complete rebuild. You have a franchise freaking quarterback. Like, you know how many teams would kill for that? <laughs> a franchise quarterback. I can think of a few. Yeah. New England. You have a Hall of Fame safety who's still playing at a very high level. Just kidding. You have a linebacker that had he not got injured and had the team performed a little bit better, he would have won defensive player of the year. I mean, you still have some very, very good pieces. But the question is... You're going to have to hit in the draft with some guys that are going to be able to come in immediately, and free agency is going to have to be success. Because right now, you don't have much depth, and you have a lot of question marks at almost every single position on this team. I don't think you can give up on Malik McDowell yet. Obviously, Pete and John know way more about the situation than we do, but it's too important a draft pick to bail on without having played a game. I don't care what he's done, unless he, unless he did obviously something you know, morally terrible, but you got to try to figure out what you have in Malik McDowell. You have to, you have to try to salvage something out of that pick from last year. Yeah. I'm sure that he's pretty, I I would assume that based on what happened last year, not only the ATV accident, but then the arrest and where was that Vegas? Atlanta, I think Atlanta. I just always assume that anytime someone gets arrested, it's Vegas. I don't know why. Yeah. I feel like that's just the place where you go to do illegal things. But, um, Interesting. It's always associated with pure living. <laughs> so, you know, Again, I, I, I use w- comedy to manage pain. I would assume that that he probably wants to prove himself too, though, right? He doesn't want to be looked at as the guy that was a complete draft bust. I would hope so. You never know with some of these kids these days, Perkins. Damn millennials. On that note, uh, anything we miss? No, we're going to have to have a pod, though, about what some of these guys meant to Seattle and some reflections on some of their biggest plays because I, I I think that I'm not ready for that. It's I think that getting caught up in in what this team needs now and getting caught up in the here and now is is obviously reactionary and what we do immediately, but the impact and the long lasting impact that these guys had on the franchise, I think can't be forgotten and needs to be talked about as well because we're talking about guys that I mean 
it's just incredible. Wouldn't have won a Super Bowl without him. Well, no, it's and it's incredible when you think about how many of these guys are going to go down as greatest Seahawks of all time, like at their positions. So many players on this team are going to go down, you know, and have you're going to have that conversation about them. I mean, it's just unprecedented. It really is. And then we have to talk about at some point too, the one Super Bowl. Is that enough? The one Super Bowl isn't enough, and that was brought up as well, you know, on uh, the Dan Patrick Show today with Greg Bell. How if if Russell Wilson only has one Super Bowl and has obviously that Super Bowl loss, does that keep him from being in the Hall of Fame one day? Wow, that's already having those discussions. I know, and it's year seven, <laughs> so we've got some time. Probably has eight years left in his career. So keep in mind that the. Uh, New league year begins March 14th, six days from now. So a lot's going to happen between now and then. And, of course, once that league year hits and free agency opens, a lot's going to happen then, too. So we're going to have another pod probably well, we could try to shoot for before the new league year, maybe preview a little free agency action. No promises, though. We'll certainly have one next week at some point. Talk about that. He's Brian Perkins. Follow him at Perkins Radio 13. I'm Judah Newby at Judah Newby and follow us at Game plan pod. You can find us each and every week. Go Hawks.